All right, today we're going to take a look at post-election results. Time to admit that the drugs won the war on drugs. So we're going to take a look at uh, cannabis winning from coast to coast, kind of what that means for some medical and rec states, of course, and then focus a little bit on multi-state operators and, and how they're going to position themselves for potential adult use markets in other places like New York, Pennsylvania. And then we'll wrap this up with um, kind of a normalization as cannabis brands and products are slow to expand in the U.S. and kind of talk about how that's normalizing the market. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today with us is Katrina Glugowski, angel investor and attorney to kind of talk about all of these things. Katrina, thanks for being back with us. Thanks, Josh. So it's time to admit that drugs won the war on drugs. So time to declare that there is a winner. So after almost 65 years of fighting, it's clear that the war on drugs is almost over and drugs have won. And so looking at uh, some key states here from a report on Brightfield Group, if you haven't already heard, uh, cannabis is winning. So red states are legalizing cannabis. So looking at Montana, South Dakota, Mississippi, Miss, yeah, Mississippi, they all heavily voted for Republican Donald Trump while simultaneously voting to legalize cannabis. It looks like South Dakota, 62% of the electoral uh, electorate voted for Trump, both medical and adult use cannabis was uh, legalization had passed. Montana, similar to South Dakota, has this ballot initiative giving the state uh, a win. And Montana legislators also optimistic for cannabis legalization. So looks like things are moving in, in unique spots. Uh, you know, red states and, and medical and rec kind of moving all at the same time. So with uh, Montana and South Dakota and Arizona and New Jersey all kind of jumping on board. Um, New Jersey kind of being the biggest one. Uh, they're going to create a lot of FOMO that we've mentioned. Uh, New York and Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, all kind of getting together with New Jersey to kind of discuss uh, how to launch. DC needs to get on board because they're not really selling anything. And that's really where we need the focus on is uh, where all of the bureaucrats are at. And so what's next to come for cannabis legalization? Well, looking at um, maybe Biden, if he's the, the next top president, what that might mean for the industry. Um, you know, we've said that if he reschedules to two, then that is going to be uh, cannabis in the hands of big pharma and not really anybody else. So we'll have to see if the cabinet is ready to convince Biden. Otherwise, if he remains the, uh, the front runner, I guess we'll have to wait another few weeks to find out. Josh, you predicted this uh, a year or two ago. Uh, tax revenue is tax revenue. And however you feel about cannabis, you want the money. And that is what we saw across the board with the results of these elections, Josh. That's right. So let's kind of take a look at uh, what that means for the industry as a whole um, with multi-state operators in new and then potentially new adult use markets, like we mentioned in, in the opening with uh, New, New York and Pennsylvania, um, adding some, uh, some FOMO, I guess. There's, um, New York is, is in debt, and they're kind of talking already about trying to legalize that. So looking at some of the state licenses uh, from Acreage Holdings and Cureleaf and all these big names, MedMen, uh, definitely have 
a, a presence in all of these uh, potential adult use markets, as well as ones that just flipped. And I'm sure they had their own lobbyists in there. So it looks like quite a few licenses. Harvest Health has 15 licenses in Arizona. New Jersey has a, a few. Um, New York um, looks like Green Thumb has 12 licenses in Pennsylvania. So there's quite a few people trying to get um, get their foot in the door. I just had a pitch deck um, come through, and they are in Utah and um, Ohio, Arkansas, and then Missouri. So not, not really the places that we hear a lot uh, about. And so I think kind of with this election, it's really going to push a lot of people to speculate and, uh, and come into, you know, what was previously an obscure state like, you know, Ohio or Arkansas or Missouri. Well, it's all about domination. I mean, Coca-Cola is not sold just in Washington and California. It's sold across the nation uh, in order to dominate the market. And when we did Cure Leaf's pitch deck review, we definitely saw some domination that they had. They've, they had 30-something slides in their deck, but a lot of that was the appendix going into details on Illinois and all these other marketplaces that they're at. Their parent company has a lot, right? So they've got their hands on a lot of different cookie jars. And so um, there's a lot of subsidiaries where they're able to kind of go out. And so um, it's not just the Harvest Health or the Cure Leaf name but it's also some other ones that they've picked up through an acquisition um, or, or merger. So the there's four publicly traded MSOs that are particular primed to benefit from these new and potential adult use markets, according to the Marijuana Business Daily. That includes uh, places in, you know, companies that are in Arizona, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Um, so of the four MSOs that identified by Canagard Security, they are uh, Massachusetts-based Cureleaf, Arizona-based Harvest Health, Illinois-based Green Thumb Industries, and New York-based Columbia Care. This is actually good news, I think, for the cannabis industry. Uh, you have indiv individual companies that have the process and the procedure down. We talk about having the right team and SOPs and financials, uh, and when and when you get the the process down and you're opening your 15th or 20th dispensary you 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 know what you're doing by that point and i think that the growth of these cannabis companies indicates a strength that they have the process and the procedure down there is a, a growth in terms of expanding to new areas, but we're going to get into a report about how the brands and products are slowing down a little bit in terms of how often they're being released. But before we get to that, talking a little bit more about the potential here with two additional private multi-state operators being well positioned to also take advantage of uh, the market. That's Illinois-based Verano Holdings operating in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And then there's Illinois-based Pharmacan which is in New York and Pennsylvania. A lot of capital out there, but um, you know, Washington State just entered another lockdown. Businesses are going to be shut for another uh, you know, month, at least four weeks. And so if other areas you know, follow Washington State and have additional lockdowns, hopefully cannabis will remain essential business. But what it will do is, uh, is disrupt that capital that's entirely needed for the industry to kind of keep going. 
So the death of capital isn't the only potential hurdle for small businesses in the adult use market. There's also restrictive zoning that drives up the prices of available real estate. There's a municipality opt-outs that limit opportunities. And there's lengthy timelines between license applications and then the final approval to operate. Those timelines at this point, Josh, should also be reduced uh, by this point. Uh, you have to pick your model. Uh, you know, you can pick the Colorado model or you can pick the Washington model or the Oregon model, but there's models out there. So there shouldn't be a lot of delay in actually authoring the uh, legislation and the regulations. Uh, and the zoning issue, we, we have some of that re remaining. Uh, there, it's a big problem in, in California, uh, but at the same time, uh, your point of they need the tax dollars, you would think that they will just push this through given the success of the other states, just push it through, implement it and get going. I think the zoning is probably going to be the most difficult hurdle because there's still is your your distance away from schools and I think churches and parks anywhere that there's children you're you have a thousand feet where you can't be so that's still restrictive but in terms of municipalities opting out I think we have that in a lot of rural areas but again as this kind of normalizes. Um, I, I think that, you know, dry counties in like Texas, for example, are still odd to me to, to know that there's a alcohol, no sales um, in places like Texas and Blaine, Washington, right by the border. I don't think you can buy beer or alcohol on Sundays. <laughs> that was the case when, when I was living up there in Bellingham. I don't know if it's still the case, but they exist. So I think that, you know, opting out as a municipality is uh, you know, self-righteous, but you look around and you're going to need those tax revenues. So I think that's a hurdle that they'll be able to get over fairly quickly. And then like we've covered on the podcast before, the timelines for these applications are getting quicker and quicker. You don't have to wait 20 years for California to open up a rec store. Yeah, the last statistic I saw was uh, seven months from passage of le uh, legislation to opening the doors, seven months. Yeah. A lot yeah. faster now than it used to be. It is a lot faster. Uh, but again, brands and products are kind of slowing down, normalizing. But before we get to that, kind of still want to talk about how these multi-state operators are trying to pivot in order to stay relevant. So there's cash constraints. People have been busy trying to acquire and expand operations in places like Arizona, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, anticipating what just happened with the election. And so New York-based acreage holdings, they're not going to let a little cash position prevent them from being able to get in New Jersey. So they took out a short term loan in June at a crazy interest rate of 60%, six zero, just to get enough money to be able to get into New Jersey. So uh, they're doubling down, they're definitely spending whatever they can to be able to get in there. Uh, and they're not going to let money get in the way. Looking at uh, Air Strategies, they're expanding, expanding into Pennsylvania. They got a $37 million acquisition of a cultivation and processing facility. And uh, Harvest Health, they acquired three more medical licenses in Arizona and Verano Holdings this week. They signed a definitive agreement to acquire Florida-based alternative medical enterprises. So people are still, still moving along. We saw, I think, $25 million license sold a couple of years ago, 2018, in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. So um, things are definitely moving. 
Yes, they are. Which all kind of like leads into hopefully normalizing the industry. So another chart of the week from MJ Business Daily about brands and product counts as the cannabis market matures. We're seeing recreational cannabis brands expanding slowly into the U.S., maybe kind of telling us that um, we're at a mature market. So we're seeing some cannabis companies slowing the rollout of new brands and products that might be the latest sign of a market maturity in other states that legalize adult use sales. Good news for established brands as competition for shelf space declines while sales continue to grow. So we can kind of see that um, on this chart between brands and products and products per brand, they're all kind of either leveling out between Colorado and Washington State or declining. Um, and so there's maybe less concentration of the top you know, brands being sold. Um, either way, it looks like people are changing their, their buying behavior as well post-pandemic in addition to the um, industry trying to normalize. I think that the stay at home and the lockdowns and everything, uh, online e-commerce, all of those things have sped up significantly. Yeah, I think what this chart represents is because it covers a six-year period uh, where companies are trying something. Um, oh, hey, let's have cannabis potato chips. Okay, well, guess what? They don't sell. Uh, so you, you drop that off your catalog and you find that uh, gummies sell and you increase the number flavors of, of your gummies. And I think that's what this chart rep, uh, represents. Uh, as far as the brands, that just gets to the M&A that we've been talking about for years um, because little one-offs, um, small entrepreneurs just can't compete. And so you would expect the brands, the, the sheer number of brands to drop. Absolutely. In Washington, we used to have coffee. We no longer do. And it looks like it's the number of products are cut in, a, in half. Um, so maybe they were approaching, it looks like almost 150,000 different products from 2014 to this year, whereas now we only have 73,000 products. <laughs> Um, no longer selling, you know, coffee, for example, that didn't work out because uh, pricing is too expensive. So it hasn't fully normalized yet where you can go out and buy an $8 Starbucks every single day, but you're not going to spend 20 some odd dollars for the same thing that's infused with maybe 10 milligrams. So again, I think it's convenience and pricing are still the two biggest drivers for consumers. We're still not normalized, but um, there is a reduction in the number of brands, like you mentioned, that is some consolidation. It's people like Willie's Private Reserve leaving Washington State because they couldn't hack it. And then number of brands per uh, the product per brand. Um, yeah, maybe you know you tried some a seasonal product that didn't really sell and you can't really afford to do that. So you have to really reduce. And we've seen that in the normal world too. Like we've talked about Coca-Cola reducing the number of products they're selling. Same reason. Um, right now, PPE is getting a lot of the priority in shipping. And so if you can't get the ingredients you need, you kind of really need to focus on your core products that you're selling. So uh, back to this report, it says that brand recognition and strong products are going to be more important for cannabis companies entering the market, giving that consumers are showing more signs amid the pandemic of relying on brand and product loyalty when shopping for merchandise. So seven years ago, there was a brand and product data from Colorado and Washington showing that brands and product counts have stabilized and even declined in both states over the past three years. Well, that makes sense, Josh. If you're buying online, 
you're not going to impulse by the infused Tabasco hot sauce at the cash register. And that that's not any different than the 7-Eleven. When you go into the 7-Eleven and you impulse buy the chocolate bar, that's why they put the chocolate bars up front. You ran in for milk and you walk out with milk and a chocolate bar. So it doesn't surprise me at all. No. And to your point, to have infused, um, you know, hot sauce and infused noodles, you know, ramen noodles are really, really cheap and no one's going to go and buy really expensive ramen noodles as a novelty more than once. Right. So why not just buy the tincture and infuse whatever it is that that you're making? And I think that's the move right now with leaders um, in the industry, at least here locally, we're seeing like Green Revolution, um, for example, they're definitely moving into that quote temporary normalcy of of just having a lot of tinctures rather than infused products because it's easy to infuse my coffee versus trying to just buy some cold brew and paying an outrageous amount so um, whether it's Canada that's trying to normalize that um, or just figuring out the hard way I think we're definitely starting to see some some slowness to the industry and figuring out what that sweet spot is how many products should we have and even for some of the brands we have um, companies that have several different brands a high-end brand and they'll have a different name for like a low-end product i think we're going to see a lot more of that as they try to um, grab all of the changes in consumer behavior right now with people kind of adjusting their their income to be able to afford you know cheaper items we saw, we did a report on cheap weed in Canada. And I think that's obviously trickling down globally as people are trying to keep cannabis, but maybe cheaper stuff. Yeah, budget drives everything. That's right. So interesting to see kind of brands and product counts uh, kind of maturing in existing states. We're going to have to find out what the, the new rollouts are doing. Let's come back to Talking Hedge and find out. With that, With that we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is the Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.